Hello everybody, it is Saturday night, August the 13th year, 2011, hope you're all doing well, Patricia's going to join me here in a little while, uh, so we're going to, uh, by her request, we're going to start off the show with a radio show, and then she'll join me in a little bit, and we're going to play the suspense show starring Fibber Fib McGee and Molly in 1949, and this is a Good, good show. So that's what we're going to feature first. But first, let's tear up her. Dear Lord, thank you for the wonderful opportunity living in this country. Bless everybody who fought for the country, Lord. As we look upon tomorrow being VJ Day. The anniversary when World War II ended. We think about all those who fought that war, war, who served in that war. People who are family members in that war. We thank you for the blessings that have come from it, of, uh, you know, having democracy live. We hope the rest of the weekend is a wonderful weekend for all of us, and bless those who might be going through difficult times at this period. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, everybody, here we go with suspense. And now, Autolite and its 60,000 dealers and service stations present... Suspense! Tonight, Autolite brings you Fibber McGee and Molly in Backseat Driver, a suspense play produced and directed by Anton M. Leder. Looks like old home week on suspense tonight. Old home at Gluskin. The entire production was under the direction of Anton M. Leader. In the coming weeks, suspense will present such stars as James Mason, Jane Wyman, and many others. Make it a point to listen each Thursday to Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. And next Thursday, same time, hear Charles Lawton in Demortius. Find Autolite service stations listed in your classified telephone directory under automotive electrical equipment. You're right with Autolite. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Ah, February 1949. Well, we're on the verge of hitting an anniversary tonight. 66 years ago, August the 13th, we're waiting to see if the end of World War II could happen. So, what's going to tune in Gabriel Hickey and see what he says. To keep hair better groomed without looking greasy, use Kreml daily. Time for Gabriel Heater and his up-to-the-minute news of the world brought to you by Kreml Hair Tonic. K-R-E-M-L. Kreml Hair Tonic. Men... Hair Tonic Daily. Kreml is used by countless thousands of America's best-dressed men. 
to relieve that brittle, wiry appearance of hair when caused by excessive exposure to drying summer sun and heat. You'll be delighted with the way Cremel makes your hair softer, easier to comb. And see if you don't find that it stays in place all day long, looking more youthful, so naturally lustrous and so handsome, and with none of that ugly, greasy, glued-down look. Remember, Cremel Hair Tonic for better groomed hair, the kind girls like. And now, Gabriel Heater. Good evening, everyone. If you hear nothing by midnight Washington time tonight, you'll hear nothing official until after 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. There's a feeling in Washington Japan's delay indicates a dramatic disagreement inside her own government. And that may delay a final reply for several days. Even civil war in Japan isn't ruled out as a possibility now. Their people know nothing even now regarding their surrender offer. Their latest propaganda line talks of more war and the likelihood of American invasion. And the war is on, very much on. There's no evidence to show that the people are being prepared for surrender. We know tonight they lied when they said they were delayed by the fact that our counter-proposal only arrived in Tokyo early today. Swiss authorities say they had the Jap acknowledgement 24 hours before that. Their news reports reveal several conferences between Togo and the Emperor. So he and other army leaders may be unwilling to go along in any surrender arrangement. The Swiss foreign office has made arrangements to remain on duty all night tonight in anticipation of some reply. If it comes, will it be a final reply or another counteroffer? Or will it reveal some dramatic surprise inside Japan? The Emperor's abdication, perhaps, to avoid the personal humiliation of surrender. Will the reply reveal a new government in Japan? A government whose purpose would be more delay. You remember all the changes before Pearl Harbor. China's ambassador seems confident of big news soon. He ought to know how the Jap mind would work under these circumstances. He's a well-informed man. I believe he knows. At least he has every right to know what to expect. He seems confident. There are no facts, however, nothing but mysterious silence. Do they need time in Tokyo to swallow the cruel, arrogant pride? There's little doubt of it. This will be a cup of bitter tea. Picture anybody whose job it may have been to kneel today in the Emperor's presence and say, Holy One, Your Majesty, you'll have to sign a document admitting complete defeat and accepting unconditional surrender. You'll have to do this even when your armies are intact, four million strong. You'll have to do all this even before an enemy soldier has landed on your shores. You'll have to agree to place yourself under a supreme allied commander who will be the real ruler of Japan. And after all that, after you've carried out his orders, you'll have to wait for the people of Japan to say whether or not you're to be continued. Even when we're back once more, an obscure, disarmed, and dismantled group of islands without pump or power. When you realize nine persons and ten in Japan would hardly dare look up with the emperor passing by. When you consider how much he represents God to millions. When you realize how completely all of Japan's national life is tied up with this one man who is now virtually forced to offer himself up to do as we say and carry out our commands and admit everything he represents in power, natural and supernatural. 
has failed to save Japan. You'll agree, I'm sure, carrying that news to him was quite a mission. Yet somebody had to carry that message to Hirohito. Was it Mr. Togo? And did he fall promptly on his sword and commit Harry Kiri after that? Or did Japan's entire cabinet carry the word in and was it cabinet Harry Kiri after that? If a small part of everything we've been told about that ritual is true, there must be or there may be a good many dead Jap warlords in Tokyo tonight. But if there's a bombshell of surprise left in Japan, who knows? Even Hirohito may embark on that journey called Harikiri. No one in Japan, no one in more than 2,500 years has ever had to take that kind of medicine. This is new for Japan, as new as our atomic bomb. This isn't merely the defeat of an army or a navy or an air force. This can't be explained away by saying they were outnumbered or outgunned. This is final and complete bankruptcy of a wild, fierce faith in which generations of Japs have shared and which few ever thought to question. Germany's acknowledgement of defeat, even if Hitler were to stand up and proclaim it and sign it with his own name, that would have been a small matter by comparison. This is no mere matter of losing a war for the Japs. There are 14 years of aggression behind Japan's march of conquest. Fourteen years of victory are coming down in one dismal heap. Fourteen years of victories in which her empire was multiplied in miles and wealth. A wealth as fabulous as you'll find anywhere in all the world. There it was in her own hands. And every mile of land, sky, and water for 5,000 miles around. Dominated by her ships and her planes and her rulers. All this came crashing down almost overnight. It isn't going to be easy for Hirohito to confess it and say, I'm now subject to orders as much as any Jap peasant or soldier. This is retribution, swift and terrible. He'll say it finally, however, but they'll wait as long as possible. One had to stand alongside General MacArthur on Baton. One had to hear the cruel yelp of exultation which came from Tojo's pirates to know how those troops will take this news. One had to march alongside General Jonathan Wainwright or spend a day inside a Jap prison camp. One had to be there and hear the cry for the whip of the bayonet when any American fell exhausted by the ordeal to realize why they've held back their surrender until the last possible minute. This is a cup of bitter tea. One had to be in Hong Kong when the Japs marched in, or near the giant ships, Repulse and Prince of Wales, when both went down in one blow, and the roar of Banzai came up with the fury of thunder. To recall their victory cry and to know the measure of their fall is to understand why they keep us waiting. Putting it off, putting it off, and putting it off, and yet knowing the final minutes would tick away, and then then turn to their people and say it was all a dream, all a fantastic nightmare. To say you'll never build another warship, another bomber, another gun. You're going back into obscurity. They'll sign. Faith is a wonderful weapon for every hour in life. 
Weeks ago, before the atomic bomb, before the Russians came in, before the ultimatum, when a good many well-informed men were saying the war would last another year, and two, perhaps, I said peace and reunion would come before Christmas. Faith is America's greatest weapon, more than a thousand atomic bombs. Why did I say it would be over before Christmas? There were military reasons, yes, a great many. Okinawa won the war. The handwriting was on the wall even then. But beyond everything else, I seemed to feel mankind was ready at last. The peace and the prayers of a war-weary world would be answered now. And so when you hear the gloomy forebodings of a post-war disaster for the American people, hold fast to your faith and your faith in America. Remember everything that was said after Pearl Harbor. Here's a welcome bulletin from Germany. Two plane loads of top Nazi criminals arrive in Nuremberg tonight. Arrive for the trial. Here's a sidelight on the trial of Marshal Patton. The Paris press revealed tonight Patton finds a heavy batch of fan mail in his cell every night after court adjourns. Out of every five letters, three are said to be favorable to him, and two are described as unfavorable and insulting. Here's a bulletin on General de Gaulle. It was officially announced in Paris a few minutes ago. General de Gaulle will arrive in Washington on August 22nd for a meeting with the president. May I take half a minute, please? You know, I'm sure I can help some man tuned in find a much greater enjoyment in his hair. A brand new enjoyment. And find all the inner well-being a man feels when he knows he looks his best. Cremel. Cremel instead of water on your hair. Cremel to help your hair look soft and smooth. And to keep it that way all day long. Present you at your best for every occasion always. I'd give a good deal if I could help every man tuned in tonight. Who really enjoy that experience. Cremel on your hair. I doubt if you'd ever go back again to water on your hair. Will you try it tomorrow? A treat you'll look forward to every day, I'm sure. And if some woman tuned in would like to hear a song at her house any morning, put some cremel where he can find it. Thank you very much. Well, the big word in Washington before long will be reconversion. Doing as much as we can, as fast as we can, to create as many jobs as we can. It's a monumental undertaking. As staggering as anything we've had to do for the war itself. There were many of us who tried to say, let Congress act now before its summer recess. We tried to say the end in Japan might come at any time and the impact would hit millions of homes. And now we'll have to catch up and move fast. And I propose as one immediate move in reconversion. We consider hundreds of thousands of American homes where wives, children, dependent parents wait for the fathers who went to war. Here the problems are bound to be unusually heavy. There are more dependents, more people affected. Hundreds of thousands of such families have had to give up their homes, group together, live with relatives or friends. If we can possibly provide even a bit of an extra start for these men, for these older men, and for these homes, for the wives and children who've been waiting, that would be a great help in getting reconversion underway. You and I know in the technical age into which we're moving, a man's age is always a factor in his application for a job. And the man over 35 is not only confronted by the heavier responsibilities, but a more difficult readjustment. We could possibly begin with these men, 
and get all these men home as soon as possible. And their homes going once more. Make reunion possible wherever we can for the children and their fathers. That would be a good place to begin. Let's remember, more than half of all our pre-war jobs came from small employers. Came from men who hired anywhere from half a dozen to 25 men in small enterprises of every kind. They undoubtedly make up that group we call older men in uniform, too old for combat. They undoubtedly make up our great majority of fathers in uniform. They represent a large part of what we call small business, men who can make jobs possible for other men. Yes, reconversion. And remember the American home. The home broken by the impact of war. Get it back again as soon as we can. Ladies and gentlemen, your good friend and mine, Len Sterling. Thank you, Gabriel Heater. Why don't you do like so many of America's best-dressed men do? Use Kremel Hair Tonic daily to keep your hair looking its handsome best all through the summer. Kremel leaves hair looking so lustrous, so masculine, never glued down or greasy looking. Kremel also promptly relieves itching of dry scalp and removes untidy dandruff flakes. And how cooling and refreshing it feels to apply it. Ask for Kremel at your barber shop. Buy a bottle at any drug counter. K-R-E-M-L. Kremel. And be sure to listen to Kremel's presentation of the news by William Lang over most of these same stations every weekday, Monday through Friday, at 12 noon Eastern wartime. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. And here's the news. 66 years ago tonight. Hello, Patricia. Hello, Walden. Hi. A note from the principal. Because I'm late for school. Thank you. I'm sorry, everybody. Maybe you're not sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I hadn't thought about it in those terms before. Hello, Walden. Hello, everybody. Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday, everybody. August the 13th, year 2011. And as we're sneaking into a new day here in a little while, our phone lines are open at 714-545-2071. We'll drop in some news throughout the night just to see how, uh, if, the, if the end of World War II is going to happen, because we are on the anniversary day. But we also would love to make time and room for you. So give us a call, 714-545-2071. One. Hello there, you're on the air. Yeah, it's Kurt. Hi, Kurt. Hi, Kurt. How are you? Okay, we got a we got a good radio show for your for your uh, actually two very interesting because I hadn't heard that Gabriel Heater before. Yeah. Uh, actually, Walden, in a sense, that Gabriel Heater show yeah. provided the answer to the question that you and what's the guy's name, Mike, were talking about um, uh, the. Uh, Norman Corwin, 19, uh, the, the VGA show the last, uh, well, a few weeks ago. Right, My- Michael Beale, yes, yeah. Where he reads it with such, with such violence. Right. And I think after hearing Gabriel Heater, we can understand that the Japanese part of it had so much more personal a feel than the Germans ever had. Mm-hmm. I think because... The Japanese mistreated our men in such a way that to, I think, to Corwin, even though, you know, I I think he let Orson read it that way because there was more personal anger. 
Yeah, I mean, we've gone through the Patan death march. We've gone through some, some horrific yeah. uh, situations. And, and I think, like I said, I think it was different. And, of course, you know, the other thing is, I don't know if anybody knows, but um, uh, Louis Zamperini, who is... Yes, I've been trying to get him on the show. Um, he's going to be on the Harvest Crusade at the uh, at Anaheim Stadium tomorrow. Yeah, uh if in one, I'm 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 planning to get it. So I I've been asked to read his book. So I've been looking for an audio copy. So, I have it. So if you want to put that in that Dropbox. If that, I can find it. If you can find it, because uh, that's going to be. I'm about to read his book ahead of time. Yeah, it's it's called it's called Unbroken. Right. And I have it. So you can help me out. Basically, I, like I said, if I can find it, I will send it to you. Basically, everybody, he is the guy who was the Olympic champion. Uh. In Berlin, Germany, in 1936, he was uh, a runner, and then he fought in uh, World War II, and he was captured by the Japanese after being being on a, on, on a boat, on a life raft for 40 days or something out in the South Pacific. Right. And it's an amazing story. He's in his mid-90s, and... He's 94, and he still flies. And he still flies, and he, what he did after all, he spent his time doing missionary work back in Japan. So I think he'd be a great guest just to talk about all the uh, remnants from uh, his memory, uh, Berlin, Germany, into World War II, and quite, a, quite an interesting guy. But I think part of the reason, I think part of the reason that, that, that Wells read it that way is... is that our feeling, like I said, I mean, what the Germans did was, in a sense, it was more horrible by numbers. Mm -hmm. But the Japanese um, were more horrible, kind of personally, because of because of the way that everything was done. Anyway, a couple other things. Um, I have a I have a um, a show for your for your worst shows. Uh oh. <laughs> um, the audition show of The Cases of Mr. Ace. Oh, with, I have that. With George Raft. Huh? If you listen to that show, if you will listen to the Maltese, I don't know which version of the Maltese Falcon. Um, I don't know whether it was in Maltese Falcon or if it was in Candy Tooth. Where, specifically in Candy Tooth, uh, I think Kearns plays the, the Gutman part, and Correct. I don't know who played the, uh, the Cairo part. But those parts are basic. Not only are the parts duplicated, but some of the dialogue was actually lifted from the, from one show to the other. And I don't know if they realized, thought that they could get away with this, but the dialogue is exactly lifted from from one of those yeah. those two shows. Uh, and so it was uh, that that goes on your worst list. And by the way, I got the envelope yesterday. Oh, good. And uh, and all those information please are wonderful and the, the Chandu and the monitor stuff. Uh, George Raff is an interesting character. You know, he was a uh, grew up in New York, uh, hung around a, a lot of mobsters, uh, broke away. His son and dance man went to Hollywood, and he was successful in the movie. But he was notorious for turning down parts. He turned down the Maltese Falcon in the movies and went to Humphrey Bogart. He turned down three or four major roles, had a run, and Rocky joined him, and he wound up, run, he wound up being, running a travel agency. Yeah. He <laughs> totally went right down the drain. That's why he wound up doing the very end of his life. Just, anybody could call him up and book a, book a trip. Yeah. 
Well, uh, anyway, that, that one definitely should go on your list. A couple other interesting things I have found looking at stuff on the Internet that you can download. If you go up to the Internet and you download a show called Nightwatch, the uh, show does contain Nightwatch, a lot of those shows with uh, Don Reed, but it also contains three or four of a show called Nightwatch, which is a little show which was done by a guy named Peter Lee. Peter Lee was a British guy, and he told little short stories on Mutual in the 70s sometime. I believe it was in the 70s. And he was also in a commercial that had the tagline, if this doesn't make your skin creep, it's on too tight. <laughs> and I don't know if it was a Halloween movie or what it was now, but I remember that tagline. And I actually had a copy of the of the Peter Lee record with like 10 of these little short stories on it, which unfortunately got lost, and now I can't find it. And um, so I don't know if anybody, you know, like I, like I said, I, and I did not know until I heard these shows or didn't remember that they were on Mutual. Hmm. So if you download the Night Watch, there's like four, uh, four shows at the end of that. And there is also on Night Watch uh, an uncensored show, uncensored outtakes, which is quite interesting. <laughs> so um, between that and Lights Out, which you can download, which has some really good copies of some shows and not of others, but it's worth, uh, it's worth downloading as well. So there's a number there's a number of things out there, uh, and and there you know, but I will look for um, Unbroken because I know I have it. I appreciate that. Cause actually, uh, I asked if I could read the book ahead of time, then then I would uh, give in the interview. So yes, you would. Yeah, you would want to read it. And there's a. I mean, until I until I read that book, I did not realize what a miracle it was that we did as well as we did in terms of, of flying in the war. Yeah. Because, I mean, it, the, the number of, of planes that were lost and, and stuff for, for no good reason was incredible. So, yes, I will, um, I will look for it. And um, as I'm listening to your show, I will be doing that. Sure. And um, like I said, um, so my news is I go to the doctor on Tuesday to find out about my new chemotherapy medication. I'm actually doing okay, but my values are rising a little bit every month, so they don't want to let them go, the myeloma values, to get too high before they start trying to do something about it. Because uh, the last time when I went, just a year ago, um, they said that if I had not had any treatment, I probably would have been dead in about three months. So we don't want that to happen. No. And uh, so only have one curtain now we're live tonight. that's that's true and um i got i was the most sick that i have been at christmas so i'm i'm i've been done very well since then and so and i you know of course thank god for that every day uh because it really has been a miracle but you guys are doing a, a, a great job by the way Walden, who played the killer in that uh, in that film again molly oh uh, that was jack edwards Jack Edwards. Because he actually does, it sounds kind of like the, like the um, Richard Whitmark, almost the Richard Whitmark laugh in a couple mm -hmm. of on that show. But yeah, it was 19, well, uh, the Kiss of Death, the movie came out in 48. Yes. Uh, Jack Edwards, for those of you who met, he, he is a, uh, 
lives in Arizona, in a nursing home facility. His brother was Sam, Ed Sam Edwards. Oh, yes, of course. And uh, you would know Jack probably best if you ever heard Adventure by Morse. He played Skip. Yes. The sidekick, so that's who that was. Of course. Yeah, Skip, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Quite a character. Uh -huh. Anyway, you guys are doing a great job as always. Oh, do you have a question this week? Oh, I have two questions for you. Okay. Um, no, I, I have one statement and one question. Okay. I like George Raft in that Oh, I like George Raft, too, but it's... Well, in that show, I really like that show. I went out looking for it, and there was only the audition show and maybe one... There were two others, and they sound horrible, but the, the irony is that the audition show sounds so good. The, the uh, Judas Coin... Mm-hmm, yes. One that sounds, it sounds so good. And, it, I mean, it, actually, if it were not, if it were not for the, the, you'll know, well, if you remember, like I said, go back and listen to the radio versions of the, of the, uh, I, I don't remember if it's Candy Tooth or one of the Maltese Falcon, but there's a part where the Peter Laurie character says, put your hands behind your head and, and give me your gun and whatever. Well, the only difference was that, that Bogart takes the gun away, and then when he's all then when he's all done, he gives the gun back to him, and Peter Laurie goes, "Now put your hands behind there," and he's going to go all through it again. Raft didn't do that, but they actually the dialogue is basically stolen, <laughs> and so I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. Other than that, it was it would not have been a bad show had it not been for for that you know little theft. Uh, what was your question? Well, it, it is amazing how many radio shows you're going to pick up a couple of lines that make you sit back and say, I just listened to that in Sam Spade, or I just heard that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. It's well, and the other thing, too, is, though, the characters are so similar. The Gutman character, I mean, the fact that they were kind of all there together, you know what I mean, is, is kind of suspicious as well. Also, remember, too, the radio writers were freelance writers, and a lot of cases, especially from the late 40s and 50s, they had control of their own script, and so a lot of times they reshaped and repacked it for different shows. Right, right, and, and they didn't, I mean, and of course, they didn't really, and, you know, the actors didn't know, you know, I mean, I'm sure Joseph Kearns doing those lines and doing the same exact character that he had done on, on because, you know, in the, in the it's the same exact character he did in Candy Tooth. And um, because he did the uh, the Green Street role, the Gutman role, that, you know, had done, had had gone well in the other show. So, but yeah, I, um, it, it, I, I, had it not been for that dialogue, it was not a bad show. But, but that, that's what made it for me uh, a little bit, you know. I thought it was one of the campier Yes, oh, for sure. Uh, of the of the detective shows, it was almost a parody on some uh, on something like um, Philip Marlowe or Sam Spade. It it was yeah, camp. I guess it's the best. Yes, 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 it was. I I love camp so much in black and white movies and in radio. The campier, the better. I really enjoy it. So maybe that has colored my perspective on how awful the show. Well, I, like I said, it, it would not had it not been for the fact that 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 your brain went that my brain went. Wait a minute, you, you stole all this. Uh huh. It took me so much out of the show yeah. that otherwise might have been a more enjoyable experience. Major distraction. Yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah, I agree. Okay, here's your question. Yes. 
Who starred in Night Beat? Oh, that's one of my, one of mine and not one of your favorite shows because of the actor, and that would be Frank Lovejoy. Yes. Hi. And I, to me, a lot of those shows, I mean, I, I thought that was one of the better shows that was ever on NBC. And, um... It was well written. I just know, I just, probably the, the voice, uh, just threw Patricia off that, I don't know, have you ever got a chance to hear the stories enough, Patricia, or did Oh, the, sure, I've, I've listened to quite a few of them. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not anti-Frank Lovejoy. Have you ever heard any of the South African versions? I haven't. Um, you'll have to look around. I'll have to look around and see if, because I, I know I've got some. And Walden probably has some, too, of the South African. There's, I probably have five or seven of them. Uh, they were done for years. I don't know how many years. Mm -hmm. Because I, I supposedly they were on for like six years or something in, in Africa. But, but we don't have a lot of those. And they're... It shows what an inter. I mean, I, I don't know who wrote it either in Africa, um, but I thought it was one of the better shows that NBC ever did. What was the um, South African detective show that starred a blind detective? You know, that's a really good question, and because I have heard it, yeah, I heard it a couple of years ago, and I thought it was interesting, and I only came across like one or two shows, and I was never able to 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 come across very many of them and, and um yeah I remember hearing one back in a local station in the 70s and that's about all and uh, it was, so I knew it was from South Africa I've heard something since then so somebody mm -hmm. somebody out there I am sure yeah. knows knows uh, you know what that show was mm -hmm. it, yes it was a blind detective mm -hmm. and um and I yeah I'll have to look around because I have some but I have so many discs around the around the house that that and I, I have no filing system <laughs> so it's you know the the filing system is kind of like my mind you know oh, I, stuff oh. jumbled up together which <laughs> which you never can find exactly when you'd like to, like it to be there it's only there when you don't need it my favorite description is that I file in piles and don't touch my piles because I know exactly where everything is. I'll fall over if you touch them. Yeah, exactly. Don't, <laughs> don't touch. Don't touch. That's right. That's right. Uh, okay. Well, I always.